0: Welcome to the Gideon's Church Speaker Program, where our mission is to help develop more and better speakers. Whether you've been speaking for decades or just thinking about getting qualified, you will find valuable tips, lessons, and inspiration here. This is Sean Graver from the Tacoma Northwest Camp in Tacoma, Washington. And now, here is this week's episode. Today we're talking with a very accomplished man. His service in the Gideon's International started back in 1976, and over the years, he has served as a leader in many roles. In the Pacific Southwest region, California and Nevada South, he's been an area coordinator, state vice president, state president, international convention co-chairman, state scripture coordinator, state church assignment coordinator, and was part of the 2005 International Convention Committee. He is a retired attorney, having practiced law for 22 years, He is also known as a Sunday school teacher, children's church leader, choir member, and church elder. As chairman of the board for the Institute of Bible Translation in North America, he led the work of translating and printing scriptures and church materials for minority languages in the former USSR. Now, in his spare time, he's also been part of many scripture blitzes in North America and South America. He recently relocated to the Pacific Northwest, and is now a member of the Puyallup, Washington camp. It's my great honor today to speak with Brian Stromso. Brian, what an inspiring list of accomplishments. Is there anything you haven't done?
1: Oh, quite a few things I haven't done.
0: Well, I'm really looking forward to uh, speaking with you about your experiences as a church speaker, one of the most important roles that we play. Uh, and, and I guess, first of all, what, what motivated you to become a, a church ministry speaker?
1: Well, I was a brand new camp member uh, back in 1976 and the church assignment coordinator for the camp asked me to take a speaking assignment at a small baptist church in Alhambra, California, and I remember it as being one of the more frightening experiences of my life getting prepared for that event.
0: I think I can relate to that. The very first one was a little bit intimidating as practices we may get in now that you've been doing this for quite a while, what does your preparation process look like today?
1: Well, now that I've got some experience under my belt, I feel it's very important to be come intimate with the pastor and the congregation, get to know them, establish some sort of a friendship bond before I even step foot inside the church. Typically, I'll go to the website, the International Headquarter website, get some up-to-date information on what the Gideon activities have been in the last three, four, five months, get some uh, testimonies that are current that speak to me, and begin to think about and pray about the particular speaking assignment coming up.
0: You mentioned something about a testimony that speaks to you. Tell me why that's important.
1: Well, I have the uh, pleasure of having some uh, 60 or 70 years' worth of Gideon magazines with probably tens of thousands of testimonies. And many of them um, may well speak to other people, but I'm looking for a testimony that relates to me, that somehow sparks my interest, that the Holy Spirit quickens. You never really know who's going to be in a congregation, and I think it's important to be able to deliver testimonies that are God-given, in a sense, to a church or a congregation.
0: It's more about being able to share a testimony that, that you can emotionally connect with and that you can almost visualize the person that you're talking about instead of just having one that you're pulling off of a list and and reading or memorizing.
1: Absolutely. I've been on a uh, platform with Willa Townsend, who's now deceased, and watched her her speak about her son's testimony, uh, Otis Townsend. And that's something that I will never forget and is one of our mainstay testimonies, in a sense. But there are others uh, from the military background or a personal witness or a hotel where I've uh, met the actual people involved in the testimony, and those really carry a significant uh, weight with me, as opposed to something I'm just reading off a page that uh, I've never connected with those people.
0: Now, when you approach the podium after you've been introduced— What do you typically bring with you up to the podium?
1: Well, nowadays, I bring a hotel Bible with a uh, Gideon card in the front flyleaf. I may bring one testament. Uh, Many years ago, when I started out, I brought the whole store, assuming that everybody wanted to know about every testament and every Bible, but uh, soon learned from former international presidents that most people in a congregation can't see what you're holding up anyway, and so it's more effective to bring few things up because they're really not interested in a variety of scriptures. They're more interested in who you are, what you're saying, and how they can participate in the ministry.
0: So now as a more experienced speaker, you've been doing this for now for for many decades, I imagine that when you walk up, you're, you know what you're going to say and, and uh, you're not probably referring to notes a whole lot. But how do you overcome the need to refer back to notes for things uh, like you might choose to mention some statistics or, you know, the, uh, the most current numbers? Uh, do you have any uh, special preparation methods?
1: I take a four by six card and I print legibly the main points I want to get into and the testimonies. I find that referring to the history of how John Nicholson and Sam Hill met in a hotel room is not very productive for people who uh, weren't alive a hundred years ago. So I, I may give a brief comment on how we were formed. But frankly, the excitement and the interest of who we are and what we do is current. It's 2017. And so I try to bring information that is relevant, that's current, that's exciting, is easily captured on a four-by-six card. The uh, Gideon website is an excellent source of material. And by the time you've done this five or ten times, uh, you shouldn't be engrossed in notes or statistics. You should be presenting living, breathing testimonies that stir the soul of somebody.
0: Now, how do you open and start your presentation?
1: Well, it's different for every uh, church, of course. But on the other hand, testimonies are excellent uh, attention-getters, and I think there's nothing better than to take a testimony and select a sentence or a few words from that testimony that are somewhat attention-getting and use those to present how somebody came to know Christ through a Gideon place scripture. There are many speakers who have demonstrated this kind of a technique, and I still think it works best after many, many years.
0: Now, what do you do to connect with your audience on a personal level?
1: Eye contact. <laughs> don't, uh, don't be talking down at your shoes talk loudly, capture all of the audience. I think you have to demonstrate sincerity, passion, liveliness. I taught children's church with 10-year-old, 15-year-old kids in it. You better be able to connect with that kind of an audience and keep them on the edge of their seats. After that, the adults should not be a problem. You've only got a minute or two to uh, capture that audience, and you shouldn't dilly-dally when you're behind the pulpit. Get up, stand up, shut up, motivate people, whether it's three minutes, 30 minutes, or even longer. Uh, You need to capture the audience. Connect with the people. Don't let them go to sleep on you.
0: So tell me about maybe an interesting or unique approach you bring to your presentation?
1: Well, I uh, like personally to, if at all possible, to get down from the platform, mix and mingle with the audience. Most folks in a small group setting don't really need a microphone, and I don't think we should be inhibited by staying behind the pulpit with the microphone if The pastor doesn't do that. And if he's comfortable with you coming down to talk to the people, uh, I like to take advantage of that because they get to see you close up and identify with you. Now, if it's a 5,000-person church, that is not going to work very well, but certainly in a 50 to 200-group church, I like to do that.
0: Now, how do you improve or evolve your presentation so that the same church doesn't hear the exact same message each year?
1: Being in a church with five or six services from Saturday and Sunday, and it was terrible to hear the same sermon and see the same announcements and do all of that over and over again. I determined early on the congregation and the choir and the pastor were not going to hear the same testimonies over and over again, or the same presentation. So I made it a point to uh, have different presentations for each group and each setting, and I've tried to do that, whether it's on an annual basis or all over one weekend. I do think serious consideration has to be given to sending different speakers every year. I'm not sure the same congregation Needs to hear from the same speaker over and over again, unless there's a special relationship with that particular church.
0: And then what does your call to action sound like?
1: Well, I try to avoid, we're here for your money. I think that can be a a warning flag of sorts. I prefer to ask them to support the ministry in prayer, in becoming a friend. In membership, the money will provide itself, and frankly, if it's easy to have somebody write a check for twenty dollars or a hundred dollars and and not really connect with who we are and what we do. so my call to action would be uh, all the way from uh, having them pray for me at the end of the service, down at an altar because that's what the pastor wants or uh, spending quality time with them after the service around a Gideon table with scriptures and other materials where we can actually go eyeball to eyeball and engage in good communication about who they are and who we are and what we do.
0: And how do you prefer to handle the offering?
1: Uh, One way I don't prefer to do it is with an open Bible where the money is Spilling out all over the floor and you're having to stop and pick it up I much prefer having the pastor get engaged in taking up the offering and uh, and make it his issue Because frankly he knows his people and he's much better able to gauge What's going on? But I've seen the offering taken in many different ways and it's all I suppose it's always good no matter how it happens But my preference is to have the pastors do it, and until I see something better, that's uh, that's the way I do. I also like to bring uh, a lot of Gideon envelopes with me, because frankly, uh, oftentimes we've had Gideon envelopes come into the post office box weeks and weeks after a church service where people uh, find the envelope and send the offering in even months later.
0: Well, Now, if you could give advice to other speakers, what would that be?
1: Passion, sincerity, honesty, boldness. Uh, don't be a shrinking violet when it comes to standing in the pulpit delivering the
0: good news. What do you feel holds people back from having passion in their presentation?
1: Well, I think a part of it is coming to the realization that we are in a life and death ministry. We have the antidote to the poison. The Bible is one of the methods, and perhaps the primary method, as to how God reaches into the heart of the unsaved and the lost. And we have that opportunity. We have that ability. We have been entrusted with a very special ministry that we need to take advantage of and be a good representative of. I don't know how you put that passion in the hearts of people, but if a speaker doesn't have that passion, I'm not sure he should be a speaker until he gets that passion.
0: Well, now, in your experience in leadership in the camp and state level, you mentioned that, you know, perhaps some speakers, if they're not bringing the proper amount of passion, they're not bringing the proper amount of energy or you know, to a presentation. How should we handle that as brothers?
1: Well, the good news about the Gideon ministry is there are uh, nine and maybe more now different aspects of a camp. And a person may not be a uh, great speaker or even a good speaker, but he might be a great treasurer or a great secretary or a great something else. And I think in a real sense, the camp cabinet has to make some decisions about what job position a Gideon should occupy. And there's nothing wrong with not being a church speaker. It's better better to be a good something than to be a bad speaker. And camp cabinet should have that responsibility to make sure they put the right people in the right positions so the ministry functions as a whole. I think this ministry has been designed to do that.
0: Well, Brian, were there any questions that I didn't ask today that you think maybe I should have, or any other final thoughts you'd like to add?
1: Only uh, after 41 years of uh, being a member and not understanding when I did join, what the future held, I think I have met some of the finest men and women, Christian men and women, serving in this ministry many of whom have become very special friends over the decades. And I hope that I can be as good a mentor to new people as they were to me.
0: Well, Brian, you are an inspiration, and you've given us many takeaways today. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences, and may God continue to bless you and your family. Thanks for listening to the Gideon's Church Speaker program. We hope you found it informative and inspirational. If you or someone you know would be a great guest on an upcoming episode, send me an email at sean.graver at gmail.com. That's sea dot G-R-A-V-E-R at gmail.com. Or visit our website at www.tgispeaker.com and use the password TGI for access. Proverbs 9.9 says, Instruct the wise, and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and they will add to their learning. See you next time.